0: Welcome to the Startup Code Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. All right. All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to today's conversation. Um, great to have everyone here. My name is Pearl Motembo from Startup Launch Code, and I'll be kind of like the host moderator for today's session. Um, I'm looking forward to a great session today, and I know it's going to be a great one. So, um, so like I said, I'm going to start off with um, introducing the speakers, and then I'll give them a chance to just um, give a two, three-minute brief intro about them and their companies and what they do, and we'll get started with the conversation for today. So, um, first up, we have Chibona Obona. Chibona is the co-founder and CEO of Kiro Energy Limited. And then next up, we have Omotola Dokas. Dokas is the founder and head of corporate partnerships at Virtual Domain Marketing Consult. We have Ezra Anajono. Ezra is the chief evangelist at BUS54. And last, but definitely not the least, we have Olainka Olonote. i I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, if I made that, I pronounced that wrong. But he's the founder of Penny Lender. And so they're going to be sharing um, their insights with us on how to deal with competition and stay ahead of the curve. But before we get started into the topic we wanted, and so um, I'll just hand over to, I'll start with Chibuna. Just um, give us a little brief, two, three minutes, nothing too long, but just a brief about you and your company. And um, we'll go down the line and then we'll get started. All right, so Chibana, over to you. I'll start with you.
1: Thank you so much. Um, I'm very happy and grateful to be on this platform. I welcome all the distinguished speakers and the amazing audience for tuning in, um, you know, on a Thursday evening like this to listen to this um, webinar. Um, So my name is Chibuna. I work at Kiru Energy Limited. Kiru is um, a clean tech company. We Provide smart, clean energy solutions for businesses and households. Um, we are based out of Lagos. We serve our clients across Nigeria. And um, my background by myself: I have a background in chemical engineering. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? Okay, I think I, I can stop there for now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Fiona. I'm great yeah. to have you on this um, space today. Where we look forward to your insights, um, Ezra. Let's
2: you. Hi, everybody, and thanks um, for, uh, for making the time to attend today's session. I'm looking forward to learning from um, everybody, including uh, my fellow speakers. Um, I'm Ezra Najonu, um, and yeah, uh, my title says Chief Evangelist, um, which is what I am at Boss 54. Um, Boss 54 is um, a SaaS product that combines um, a transport management system With um, bus financing um, to private or public um, transport operators in Africa. Um, Nigeria is our entry point. Um, A little bit about myself. So um, I've spent um, (laughs) um, almost two decades now um, with combined experience in the corporate world and and startups, um, mostly in the UK. and uh, and in Africa, and I'm currently based in Berlin, Germany.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Ezra. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on here. I'm looking forward to your insights as well. Um, first question I have is, can each one of you, so that's all the um, speakers, share a memorable moment in their journey, in their career, where they, where they faced tough competition and how they navigated through it. So I'll kick off with Ezra this time. Yeah, I'll kick off with Ezra. Ezra, please, you can go ahead.
2: Okay, um, so thank you, thank you for that question. Um, right, I'm a little bit embarrassed now because you, um, I, I may sound like a dinosaur. Um, so a, 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 an example comes to mind. Um, when when I was in the UK and I, it was actually the start of my entrepreneurial journey, but I didn't realize that. Um, uh, I set up um, the company's um, Black and Asian Employee Network. Um, and literally built it up from the, from the ground up. Now, what it did was give me a different set of skills, um, influencing, engaging, um, because volunteers who were working um, to deliver activities um, uh, in the network were um, not employed by me. Yeah? They were volunteers, and so it needed a different style of influencing and, and engagement. Uh, Now, the competition was um, other employee networks um, in the company. So the the company sort of focused on um, four strands, um, four diversity strands. Um, There was the Women's Network, there was the Disability and Carers Network, the Black and Asian Network, and, um, of course, the LGBT Network. Um, Now, historically, as a French company, because this was a French company, um, they focused more the company itself focused more on gender and disability um, because france doesn't allow for some reason um, doesn't allow um, reporting on ethnicity or, um, or, or or race and such like and so um, from a resource perspective, the company poured a lot of um, funds um, uh, into the women 's network and the disability and carers network now. For me, staying ahead of the competition, um, there are two things I, I kind of focus on. Um, the, no, the first is, um, you know, what are the core what are the core values um, of around what I'm building. Um, and once that is being com- once, once that has been communicated, you kind of attract the kind of people that will um, enable one to deliver um, on those um, on those core um, core values. Um, The second thing, um, which is linked to the first, is rather than being fixated with the competition, um, I was fixated with um, really ensuring that um, people felt a sense of belonging um, in in the network. And we carried out activities that um, were were aligned with the personal values of um, individuals um, in the organization, irrespective of their, their race. Um the long story, uh, cutting the long story short, uh, three years later, we won the best employee network in the UK. It was the first time any energy company will win that. Um, and um, we still hold the record for the fastest time an employee network um, will win that award. All
0: right. Great. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think in within your story, I think there's the secret to success when it comes to um competition. But I'm going to let the other people, um speakers touch on this. And I, I really have i I I have a feeling that we're going to hear a lot of that. Yeah. So I think I'll just go to um Hinka while we try to get Doka back. Hinka, you can go ahead.
3: Okay. Um good evening, guys. Yeah, I'm finally in. All right. Um my name is Yinka um I lead the um, penny lender um, and the Magna Cap. Um, quickly, I remember clearly sometimes in 2018, when we were about to open shop, uh, especially for, pe- I think for penny lender, right? As at that time, um, two, three, four years earlier, we had, you know, new entrants into the um, unsecured lending space. And um, then, it, it, by 2018, it was already catching on. It was already, you know, so it's becoming a thing in the financial services space. But a lot of the big boys then um, were still reaching out to customers, their customer acquisition method or customer application method was still mostly um, offline. So an account officer would take, you know, an application form just like the banks do, give you a, a form to fill to open an account. So that was exactly what we were doing there. So they had a lot of sales, uh, salespeople on the streets. So when we launched, we figured out that we didn't have money to pay that many salespeople. So we decided, okay, we're going to do it online only. As of then, customers were used to, you know, um, account officers bringing in application forms to them. So we struggled. And I remember that I started, I started convincing the customers that, see, you're better off um, filling this form online. And the reason is simple. People were shy. People were uh, people were feeling ashamed to take a loan back then. You didn't want anybody in your office to know that you were actually applying for a loan, you know, somewhere. So this is a way of saving you from doing that. And, and, and again, it was a way of saving us the loads of money would have paid to, you know, um, good hands then. So we decided we we're just going to go ahead with it, and we stayed true to, you know, uh, by our vision of you know, staying an online-only lender. Not long after that a lot of the big guys, you know, started cutting um, their workforce too. And now we have what we have today. So sometimes, you know, when you see a very powerful and big competition, um, the best thing is not to throw money around, try to compete with them. You, prob- you need to look inwards and see what works for you. So that, that was one um, time in our life that, you know, we, we had to look inwards and um, took a decision. Um, to deploy a strategy that actually worked for us. Great,
0: great. Thank you so much, Inka, for sharing. Um, Chief you want to
3: go? Yes, definitely.
1: Um, very insightful feedback from other speakers. Um, is it's a significant time when we faced competition. Um, okay, well, our company is quite young, and um, we started operations here in Lagos um this year. Um from my own experience and from what I've observed, the competition is quite tough um in terms of our market. We play in the renewable energy space. Um it's a very promising sector with so many players, um, very fragmented markets. And um there are different value chains, there are different um you know areas where you can actually innovate. So that's where it's very interesting. So um where I'll speak on from is in terms of the particular product we are selling right now in the market, there are so many competitors in that space, which is the portable power, um, portable and mobile power kits, right? So there are so many competition, um, Chinese companies, Nigerian brands. Yeah. So what we did was we looked at, okay, there is a market for this, our product, that's the truth. The market is so plenty and even all the players cannot still meet the demand. So how do we, um, you know, get into these markets and how where do we position ourselves? You know, so that's where it comes, where you now start thinking about how best can I position myself in this market? So we started looking at, okay, what is also the market that is neglected, you know, in this general market that everybody's targeting and how can we differentiate ourselves? So by looking at what our competitors were doing and. You know, checking price points, checking features, checking design, we were able to come up with a new design and also something that works, you know, very well for a, a customer, something that is not complicated, very easy to install, plug and play. And we were able to, you know, deliver that solution. So, when we discovered that we had hit a very um, sweet spot, was by the time we got others, delivered the solution and it was working and we got very good testimonials from our clients. And then we said, okay, this particular target market, you know, we are going to focus on them. So while we are also playing and having competitors in that space, we're able to, you know, capture value in our own target audience because of the fact that we're able to um, you know, find a particular need to serve a particular target audience in a general market. Yeah. So um that's my experience so far with this competition. And it's a very interesting thing because without competition, you know, there have been almost no innovation. So, yeah.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Ivona. And you said something that actually leads me to my next question, competition, spurring on innovation. But before that, let me check in with Docas. I know she's back on. Docas, can you, she was speaking, can you, do you mind going ahead?
4: So I was saying before I realized that, um, I was not um, hearing anyone again that, um, you know, Virtual Domain is actually a marketing, sales, and business development support um, service. So what we do is that we help organizations basically powering their sales, marketing, and business development team to be able to help that organization achieve their sales and revenue targets. So within the industry that we play, aside from the training that we provide, there's also the place of consultancy. The consultancy um, industry is one that you know is very, very big. But at the same time, there are some major players in that industry that you cannot benchmark. So you cannot see them as your competitors, right? One thing that we had to figure out early was to really be able to identify exactly who were our competitors because really we are are a startup and it would be very absurd to think that a McKinsey or a KPMG, or a CWJ, right, or a C and I leasing is a competitor to us, because the fact that they are in the consulting um, ecosystem does not mean that we could that we could also compete or we could benchmark them. What I believe that we did, not necessarily me believe, what we did was that we decided to niche down. Now, if you look at most consulting firms, what they tell you is that they help you with business management services or they sit down with you to understand um, your business model and you know all of those things. As much as we do that, but then what we decided to do was to niche down on focusing on helping the sales team, the business development team, and the marketing team to achieve their results. So right now, we are. Not, it means that we are not trying to cater to the need of everybody, but we are only catering to the need of the core element of the organization that makes the organization profitable. And every organization wants to make sale. There's no organization today, whether you're a startup or you're an established firm that does not want to make sale. So our focus was to target the startups. Right, and not just startups to focus on the tech startups, because we realized that most of them are very, very technical, and they are not even very refined when it comes to hiring the right salesperson or the right marketing executive to help them drive their you know their sales and their revenue targets and in order to be able to help to cater to that need, that was why we decided to you know we invent ourselves and we Focused on that. So, really, what we do right now is that we provide training services. And even if we would do consulting, it is still tied to sales, marketing, and business development. And the primary focus of our consulting is to help organization understand their go to marketing strategy. Anything outside that, we do not provide. Not because we do not have the capacity for it, but we believe that the bigger leagues there can cater to it. And you could always leverage on other persons because we realize that. Most persons or most organizations that are into consulting are more general, they're like, they're like um, generalists. There's really not so much of the consulting and training firm that you see that are specifically niche down in those areas. So that's um, the way that we've had to um, tackle the um, area of um, competition. And one other thing that we did was that um, we saw that many organizations have, you know, they are learning and development established within the organization. And some of them also have the LMS platform. So we realized that I think this actually, um, we, we we took a new turn to engage in training in a different way after the pandemic. You know, while you're engaging with organization, they tell you, oh, we have an LMS or we have an Elaine um, um, development um, department and they cater to that. So we decided to say, OK, we are not coming here to take over. For our about, we help you create a curriculum, a sales curriculum, a business development curriculum, a marketing curriculum, and we do that and we give it to your team, right? And because this is our specialty, and that's actually became one of the most of the products or the service rather that we really um cast out from as um, an agency. So that's the area that um that's how we were able to manage competition, and that's how we are keeping um I'll float at the moment.
0: All right, great. Thank you so much, Doctor, and thank you to all our speakers. We love hearing the stories. And like I said, I think we learn best when we actually learn from other people's experiences. And so just listening to everybody speaking and just like interpreting it, um, I think there are two approaches to competition that we've heard. Um, number one is, it's not so much to ignore the competition, but rather than focusing on competition, look inward to serve the particular customers that you are serving. And if you focus on the customers, you will take care of the competition. If you're providing value to the customers, it's going to take care of the competition till so it's not even an issue. And then there's also the approach to really, really know, have an in-depth um, knowledge of the competition, what they are doing, and then use that to um, guide, well, not guide, but now know how to basically innovate to be different, so to speak. So those are like two um, approaches that I've heard so far. And then, like I said, when Chibuna talked about um, innovation for innovation. So I wanted to ask, and I think I'll throw this to Chibuna and then I'll let Ezra pitch in. So um, we often hear about blue ocean strategies and really just how you can stand out from the park and blue ocean versus red ocean strategies. How can businesses identify and create their own unique spaces in the market to reduce direct competition so we had a bit of that from docker but i would i'm interested in Chibuna and then also um ezra as well you can go ahead Chibuna, You can go ahead
1: okay um how businesses can uh, create a very distinct yeah. um advantage in
0: the States, exactly
1: yeah in the market okay the first thing is i'll start from vision so vision is you know the driving force that enables business owners or business leaders to, you know, to persevere in any market and to, you know, see further. So I will start by um, articulating well the vision of the company or the vision of the business. So when you have a long-term vision and you think long-term, you are able to um, understand and uh, spot trends and, um, you know, you can predict what the future holds, right? And then you start positioning your firm um, to... You know, stay competitive. So, for example, with the um, with the with the coming of age of the artificial intelligence um, you know, era, right? Everybody now is looking at how can we um, leverage AI, you know, into the work we do. Yeah. So, for a smart business owner or a smart business leader, would now start thinking about having an AI strategy. How do we position our business, you know, to leverage AI to maximize or to innovate or to create more value for our our customers, right? And how are we going to be in the AI world, right? So having the ability to see further and think big and, um, you know, stay ahead of the curve through long-term thinking, that's the first thing. Um, then also really trying to see how to improve and create more value. So more value is not only when you are trying to improve on the product or the service. More value can even be something related to the customer. Um, for example, let's say you are selling. Uh, let's say you are giving financial services to uh, women or to, um, yeah, but let's say to women you know who are starting a trade. You know, you can think, okay, how about their children? What are their children doing? You know, how do we also support their children? How do we also support um, you know people that are related to them? Something like that. So uh, finding ways to create extra value, you know, will it really stand out um and position your brand as you know a very unique um and then you know because what what competition says is if they are not buying from you they're actually buying from your competitor right um so you can see how you can um create more value and then attract those customers to to patronize um your business yes another thing the last thing i would say should allow more speakers to intervene is to build enabling relationships you know locally and globally uh, because at the end of the day relationships really count um you know in terms of investors in terms of um customers in terms of new partnerships so if we are able if we are able to connect more with people you know get to know more people build enabling relationships locally and globally it will help us stay at, uh, ahead of the curve because there is, there is information that you will not know if you are just focused on your own personal research right so but by expanding your network by you know um building enabling relationships, you will get access to you know a lot of um valuable information that you might not that might not be in your sphere of um, your span of influence or your span of um awareness basically so that's what I have to say about that. Thank you.
0: All right thank you so much. Ivana. Um Ezra, do you want to add to that?
2: Um yeah no um I agree I agree with the with the point um uh, with the points made by the by the previous speaker, I'll just add um, as well that um, scanning the horizon, um, scanning the horizon is quite important. Uh, what that means is you need to be able to look into the future to say, okay, um, what are trends? Um, what what are the risks um, associated with um, our services or the services we provide? Um, what our customers um, saying um, are their pain points. And in some cases, it's not just what the customer and the feedback the customer is giving. It's just being in tune with what's happening in the environment. So a classic example, um, we, we got um, a lot of complaints um, at bus 54 from um, female passengers um, around you know, harassment, um, which, which made them quite uncomfortable. And in response, um, when we started seeing a trend, in response to that, um, we enabled seat selection. We, we color-coded seat selection. So you have visibility um, when you're selecting your seat of the gender of who you will be sat next to, right? Um, it wasn't so much about being politically correct. It was more around giving passengers choice. Now, inadvertently, what we didn't realize um, was that um, it proved to be a popular feature. Um more so in engagement with the northern part of Nigeria who are predominantly Muslim, uh, people felt not comfortable, um, that there was that um there was that option. So it's it really scanning, scanning the environment and saying, hey, what what is going on here? It doesn't necessarily need to be the big ticket things, um, but little things sort of um help uh implementing little or incremental um changes. Um, help to position one ahead of um, the competition. Um, the second, the second thing, um, which is from my experience in the corporate world, um, is we keep an active um, risk register. Um, the uh, whatever um, happens externally, um, we sort of um, we sort of have a process where we categorize all of those. Um, Um, external events um, in a way that uh, helps us to assess what the impact will be on on our business or on our operations. Um, And depending on the severity and impact, um, it's automatically captured and um, we monitor it and report back to the board um, on a quarterly basis. Now, what that has helped us to do as well um, is when certain events happen, um in most cases because we were proactive and captured that in our risk register, we have um obviously b- when you capture things in your risk register, you 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 will also have a response. Um you will have also developed a response. It means that when certain events happen, we are not scrambling around looking for answers um because we already have um a response. The response may need tweaking depending on the situation, but we have a response, we pick it out and, and it helps us to execute faster. Um, yeah, I, those are my two cents.
0: All right,
2: yeah.
3: thank you. Thank if I may add to that, Vicky, yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say, um, and this is me speaking from um, personal experience too, I would say you need to know when to take advantage of the low-hanging fruit and when to solve the most difficult problems for a paying customer segment. And this is what I mean. Um, when the banks came with their firepower, when the lending space, there is no way an unsecured lender can compete with a the bank. Um, they have the financial chest. They have the you know, best risk management. They have the rich. You don't. So we decided, okay, we were going to embrace the market segment that, was, that wasn't sophisticated. And they won't come near that. And that was what we did. We went to the, to the um, um, traders in the markets, looked at their businesses, and said, okay, I think you, you can, we can pre-qualify you for a loan. The banks won't do that. They are, they are too big to do that. So we knew when to leave the low-hanging fruit, which was the, um, the, 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 the customer segment with the profile of, you know, bankers, um, telco guys, the guys that were in paid employment. And a lot was that happening in that space. Banks were offering single-digit um, um, interest rates. We We could not compete. So we decided okay not a problem. Let's look for the market segment that the banks will be reluctant to enter. And that was what we did. So that happens to be, you know, one one of the cash cows for the business right now. So I so that that's my um contribution talking about blue ocean strategy.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Nika. That's some really those are some really really good points. Um and that's really insightful to add to the conversation. Um so just um, listening to everyone as well, I ha- another question comes to mind, and I'll give you a um, first shot at this, and then I'll let the other speakers chip in as well. So um adapting to change is like, very vital for success, right? Um, What are some signs that, so there's the thing about competition and you can focus on your customer, provide more value, have that insight, all the great points that we've shared, but what are some signs or indications that signal that, you need to pivot your strategy in response to the competitive competitive landscape. So um, you, you are trying different things, You just think competition is getting worse. What are some things like, okay, this is the time to pivot or there's still something here?
4: You know, um whatever. okay. Um thank you for that. I think um one of the most important things is to always have your ear on the ground. Um you should never come to a point as an organization where you are disconnected from the markets. Um, let me give an instance. Um, just early this year, we decided to launch um, two new services. And, you know, like I said, what we do majorly is training and consultancy. Well, this year, we began to receive some kind of um, inquiry from our existing customers. Conversations like, okay, Amosola, you guys have been training the team but we don't want to hire more salespeople, we don't want to hire more marketers, is there a way that we can still support the existing team and yet still, in a way, complement their activity? That led us to launch our business development service. And what that caters to is that you outsource your business development or you outsource your sales activity to us. While your team is functioning, we would also majorly take up the activity of events and lead generation. So the only point in time that conversation comes to your sales team is when a lead has been qualified and they are already considering your service. Another occasion came up um, early this year um, when one of, one, I guess, we got through inquiries and is the fact that, oh, we had this event and we've been struggling to get sponsors for it. Now, this was never part of our service, but because I, as the founder and a few of my team member, we have a network of people that we have engaged over time by providing services to them. We just thought about it, okay, these guys are looking for sponsors and these people are people who will be very open, you know, to sponsoring um, events that would grant them opportunity to acquire new customers and also for visibility. So we felt, okay, let's see if we can introduce them. But then we thought about it, if we're going to be doing this, why not put a peg at it? It was just a trial. It was it was never an intention to say it was going to be a service that will be running at the moment. I just said, okay, for whatever fund that we raise, we are getting 15%. And they're like, they were so in need of that service at that time. They're like, whatever help that we can get right now, we're going to help we're going to get it. And the two organizations like what we raised um between July and August was around 14 million for the two organizations for a service that was never part of what we needed to. And after then, I realized that they began to refer, like when there's a you know, there's an organization that has an event, they just refer them oh, God, these guys need sponsorship. And gradually it didn't actually start out as we saying that we wanted to provide this service to you know to cater for them but but it came as a result of a need from the existing markets that the existing clients that we have and that's one peculiar thing about the um about blue ocean it's also one peculiar thing about adaptation your ability to stay glued and connected to your market and to be able to pick when there is a need and to be agile enough to respond to it because sometimes the services that you provide may not be your core services They may not even be your secondary services, but the fact that you have access to something that can solve that problem for your clients, it could just become a major service for you. And for me, I think that's um, what I would want to say with regards to that.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. I I think I love those points. Just making sure that you consistently stay in tune with the people that you are serving, and they really would, and making sure that you're equipped to kind of like cater to their needs. If you focus on the customer, then you should be fine. So I think i love this point. Um, so that brings me to another question, and I think I want to hear Ezra and Chibuna and then Yinka and in as well, which is really just customer loyalty. So um, customer loyalty is a really powerful asset in any competitive landscape. I think one of the things that I've seen is a lot of people really, really value customer the way that the um, customers are treated is a key indicator of whether or not they'll do business for you. And that can be a very vital um, strategy that companies can use to actually have an edge over the competition. And so um, my question would be, what are some your top tips for building and maintaining strong customer relationships even in the face of intense competition? Yeah. So um, Ezra, you can. Kick it off with that. I know you did a lot with the community you talked about at the beginning. So yeah,
2: <clears throat> yeah. Um, no thanks. Um, thanks for that. Could you um, could you just repeat the question, please, so I get you?
0: Okay. So customer loyalty very important. It can be a powerful asset in really standing out from the crowd. What are some top tips for building and maintaining strong customer relationships, even in the face of intense competition?
2: Okay, I get you now. Um, so um, there are a number of things um, we, we've built into um, we've built into um, our processes um, to ensure that we understand um, we understand the, um, our customers. Um, of course, um, a lot of that um, starts with data, um, and it's not just data around um, around what the customers are doing. It's even um earlier than that, um, how do we want to collect data and what data do we want to collect? Um, so we, we spent some time um really articulating that, um, deciding um what um what CRM will give us um you know the optimal data um that will enable us to understand um really gain deep insights about our customers. Um but there is also the so apart from systems and processes, there is also the 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 human um, the human touch. Um, so one of the things um, we do because our primary customers are transport operators as opposed to passengers. One of the things we do um, is we schedule um, monthly um, monthly um, accountability meetings with um, our transport operators. So literally um the operations manager of the transport operator has time in his calendar schedule um on a monthly basis where we go through um metrics we go through their operations we see where we can um uh, where we can support them and over time they've seen us as um as trusted partners we're able to use data um to give them uh, insights about new routes for example or um even helping them optimize um, existing routes. Um, And that that has gone a long way um, in ensuring that we retain them. But more importantly, they see us as a trusted partner.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Ezra, for those thoughts. Um, Chibana, do you want to um, give your thoughts on that as well? Uh,
1: I kind of lost lost my train of thoughts. Yeah. Could Could you repeat the question?
0: Question. Okay. So pretty much basically... Customer loyalty powerful. assets, "What are some top tips for building and maintaining a maintaining strong customer relationships?"
1: Hmm. Okay. So, um. Okay, there are two sides of a coin, right? Number one is, um, normally businesses want to, you know, serve their clients and you know please their customers. Let me use the word please. Um, but from my experience, I've understood that customer loyalty is more about focusing on really the value you are delivering to the customer right make sure they are getting that value first okay make sure that your product checks the value box first of all that's number one way to build that customer loyalty and then any other thing is an extra add-on so sometimes um okay for, for example there was a time we were thinking about oh what kind what else can we you know do to make our customers happy and retain loyalty you know i was um, i was thinking about okay can we get them this can we add this to uh, what we deliver to them but then my co-founder called me to order and said no let's focus on making sure that our product is working let's focus on making sure that our product is delivering the value we said we are going to deliver them, making sure that the product is delivering on that value promise, right? And when I talked about it, I was like, yes, I think this is where we can actually, first of all, start building that customer loyalty from. Instead of trying to add extra things for now, we can start by, you know, making sure that our product delivers on the quality and on the um, value that we promised to our clients. So I think when we start from that area, there we can now start building a very loyal customer um yeah like a loyal customer pipeline and um in addition to that we need to look at business leaders have to look at okay if we're going to build customer loyalty you know how do we how do we increase the value you know we offer to our customers so what is that extra value that you're going to offer to your customers in addition to the normal value that that you've checked your box, right? How do you now, you know, give an extra value? I'll use an example of what happened during the COVID times. So during the COVID times, um, you know, there was this brand, I think it's, um, I think it, uh, this brand is called, um, their software brand. They, they connect um, software engineers to, you know, to, to outside remote jobs, basically. And during this time of COVID, you know, when there was lockdown, and all that. What they were not doing was they were not teaching their software engineers or their community of software engineers, you know, how to manage their finances, not how to get jobs now, but how to manage their finances in a time of a pandemic. So that, that was like a totally different thing. They were able to partner with a different company that delivered that webinar, which was very valuable today you know, to their um, target market. So we start asking ourselves, how can we deliver extra value that is outside of what we normally offer as a business? You know, something that really speaks to their needs, their everyday needs, you know, beyond um, what we offer them as the value, the main value that we offer them. Yes.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Rona. Thanks for those thoughts. I think those are really, really insightful. Um. So I have one last question while wrapping up. Um. if anybody has any questions for our speakers, they can just indicate to raise their hands and we'll take them. But I want to hear... Um, so Yinka, I would like to hear your thoughts on this first, and then we can take from Dr okay. doctors and juveniles. So I want to talk about collaboration, right? So I think, um, because you said that collaboration is key going into 2023 and beyond, right? And um, the name of the game is collaboration. Um. So what do you think about balancing Um, And I think balancing collaboration and competition can be challenging, especially in our part of the world. How would you, how do you think um, startup founders and founders, um, business owners can approach partnerships or alliances within their industry without compromising on competitive edge?
3: All right. Thank you for that question. Let me first say that nobody, nobody likes competition. Um, (laughs) That's a fact. Right. I mean, except the guy that is ahead, except only the entities that are ahead. You they don't, they don't care about the rest of the guys. Now, you need to learn to differentiate between a partner and a potential killer. Right. Over the years, we've had um, situations where um, businesses have come to us to say, OK, um, let's let's give you um, a sales funnel. Right. So you don't have to worry about, you know, looking for sales. We'll give you a sales funnel. Six months down the line, they are are already lending too. So you need to be able to differentiate between who a partner, a real partner, is and who is potentially trying to um, kick you out of business. See, if you have an entity uh, that, that has had, say, a major challenge you face as a business, and it is very difficult for you to replicate their success, right? And also ensure that what you offer, Mm, is a revenue point for them. For me, I would say that's the only time you found a true partner, and I have a few examples. Um, so we had these foreign firms who wanted to; they didn't want to set up um, in in Nigeria, but they wanted to, you know, um, benefit from the growing Nigerian um, market. So what they did was to offer a marketplace, right? The two of them were European companies. They offered a marketplace. And encouraged us to list our um, performing MP, uh, performing low, uh, balance sheet on their platform. So we figured that you guys can't come in, right? So you are not coming here to you know kick us out. So that looked to us like a a a fantastic you know partnership. So you need to learn to um, to um, understand who you know your real partners are and who you know really just want to you know probably. Um, um steal your idea or um, um you know get your, your your customer database and eventually become you know your your competition as well so that that's what I had to say about that all right, thank
0: you so much
4: Rinka. um doc, I do you have anything to add that um yeah, so um, I think I would just lay another block on what um you just said right now. So let me give um, a very practical example. So like I said, we provide business development service and one of such is brokering partnership. So there's currently um, an organization that I'm working with. They are into um, security and compliance and um, they also do verification. There's also this other firm in India that provides blockchain technology, but specifically their core area is on data verification, um, document verification. This other firm does data verification and document verification, um, but not on the blockchain technology. So what happened is this. The Indian company cannot operate in Nigeria. So what they did was that they are coming together to partner and they are going to be creating a product that is built on the blockchain technology and this Nigerian brand can use it to serve their own markets. Now, this is in line with what he just said right now. It's one thing for you to want to go into a partnership with somebody. It's another thing for you to really know where that person, um, what role that person is playing in helping you to achieve your goal. Will that person support you achieving your goal or is it going to cheat you out of it? Because I am very, very big on partnership, but then there are certain um, concepts or there are certain principles that should guide your going into a partnership or a relationship with another brand. And in most of the time, it has to be mutual. Your objective has to be mutual. Um, The responsibilities need to be consensual. It, because it should not be a case of we agree to do this and the most responsibility is falling on one organization while the other one is just enjoying the dividends. So for me, I would say that if you know that you want to go into a partnership, of course, there's nothing really stopping you from you partnering with somebody that you play within the same industry. But sometimes there's something that I love to point out, which is the area of cross um, cross-selling right um there are certain services that you do not have that another organization might have that your own clients need this same thing happened in 2020 when i was working with uh in 2022 i was working with a cloud computing firm right there were certain markets that we, we did not have access to but we saw an organization in abuja that add that market as their core audience so what we did was to partner with them. So rather than we going to Abuja to sell, we listed our service as the, as one of the services that that organization in Abuja provides. And they were the one promoting the service. It was them that they knew. We were just there to implement the solution whenever it is needed. So if you have that understanding, it will help you to know how to navigate that terrain and not to get yourself burnt when engaging in either a collaborative um, activity with a competitor
0: great point thank you so much Docas. i love those points um so much and i think that just this i think it's very important and just like Yinka said really looking at you don't just partner with everybody there's some people that are out there to steal from you but you need to really understand the role that they are playing what do they bring to the table and what is their function in this partnership and just really being clear on that and i think for everyone listening the examples bring it out so well so thanks for that. Um, um, Chibana, do you want to add anything to this
1: before we kind of wrap up? No, nothing from my side. Um, I've learned so much from everyone here. And um, okay, well, on partnerships, like I, I really second um the last point. Um, you know, in terms of getting aligned on values and making sure it's a mo, it's a mutual um, agreement, right? So that you don't um expose yourself to any form of um, you know disadvantages through such partnerships right because it's a a different brand coming to merge with your brand you know so it has to there must be aligned values in in that um, regard yeah and then it must be a mutually beneficial um, partnership okay in such a way that benefits all all parties involved and it has to be clearly stated in writing yeah so there has to be a partnership agreement so I'll just touch on that. So, in terms of partnerships, businesses going into um, partnership with another business should have a legal or written um, agreement signed off by those businesses. It shouldn't just be a mouth or um, word of mouth um, kind of agreement. It should be legal and clearly outlined terms um, that will make sure that in case there is a dispute resolution or a breach of the contract, um, then there will be, you know, legally, there'll be a reference point on how to, you know, amicably or um, to settle such a matter, right? And um, in such a way that will not affect either of the brands. Yeah. So that would be my last point.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Kubina. And thank you, Docas. Thank you, Yinka. I think it's been a great discussion. And I know I learned a lot, definitely. Ezra had to jump off. But thank you as well, Ezra, for your input and sharing with us. So I just around um, about to end this um, space, but like I said, thank you to everyone who joined. Um, if anybody has any questions, you still have a chance to kind of like put it in before we kind of close up. But thanks to everyone who joined and for the speakers just sharing. And I think and believe that we kind of have a little bit um, better idea of how to approach competition and how to really use, deal um stay ahead of the curve while also keeping our eyes open for areas of um collaboration and um, how to really just focus on the customer and just focus on providing value. And yeah, so um thank you so much to our speakers. Thank you, Inka once again. Thank you, Docker. Thank you, um Chibona, and thanks to Ezra as well who had to jump up. Mm-hmm. Thanks to everyone who attended. Um, we love to always get feedback on our Twitter space conversations as well as recommendations. So in one of the pin tweets up we have um a Feedback form that we would appreciate greatly if you take some time to fill it up and kind of let us know what you think and give us your feedback on the session and then definitely connect with us here on Twitter on our other um social media pages and um, yeah thank you so much guys for being with us today and um, have a great rest of your evening thanks for tuning in to our podcast if you found value in today's episode. You can find more at gotlaunchpad.com. Stay inspired, stay innovative, and keep building those dreams. Until next time, bye.